Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, as always, and welcome to today's podcast. So it's been a while since I've had a podcast, been busy working on committees, finally wrapping all that up. Uh, the 2020 NEC is well on its way. I guess now we've been through the NITMAMs or the CAMs, which is the pretty much the, the, the next to the last stage. Now it's got to go to the correlating committee or the, uh, the NEC code council, and they got to do whatever they got to do. And then next thing you know, we're going to print this thing. Uh, and then hopefully states will adopt it as quick as possible um, without amendment. Come on now. Just adopt that thing. Um, so what we're doing is here at Master the NEC, usually in the last part of a code cycle year, we start shifting our efforts to start talking about what's coming down the pike. So the 2020 code, although we have plenty of material on the 2017 videos and a lot of podcasts, uh, believe it or not, it still amazes me that the podcasts are the most recommended. People want the podcasts. I guess they like listening to it. Um, and uh, whether on the job or whatever. But uh, we're going to plan on a lot more videos and things like that uh, as well moving forward uh, so that we can kind of help you with uh, understanding this thing we call the National Electrical Code. But we want to talk code changes. So we're going to kind of get into that mold where, we, where we're going to start talking more about 2020 uh, you know, your your state might not adopt it right away, uh, and that's fine. Uh, but uh, we have plenty of material on the 2017. It's just it's time to start shifting gears uh, and get everybody up to speed on the 2020 and the different things that are taking place in the 2020 NEC. Okay, so first thing we want to do is we're going to really start back in this series. We're going to go back to the roots. We're going to look at Article 100. We're going to look at definitions. And we're not going to talk about every definition. I don't have the, we don't have the time uh, to cover every one of them, but we're kind of giving you an overview. Nothing should take the place of you getting your edition of the National Electrical Code when it comes out, your 2020, and reading it. Now, I don't care if you're on the 17 code. I don't really care if you're on the 14 code. When a 2020 edition comes out, you should get the book and have it. Um, and same thing, you should have a, if you're on the 2014, you should have a 2017. Um, not because I'm saying you support the NFPA, although I suggest you support NFPA and all the good work they do. Um, it's, you know, getting those books um, help keep you ready so that when you listen to podcasts or you watch videos and different codes, that you're kind of a, getting an understanding of what's coming down the pike. Uh, and sometimes if you're a plans examiner or you're building officials or you're engineer, by looking at what's changed even though your your state is on a certain edition, you can kind of see the flavor of where the panels are going so that sometimes you might have to do things like modifications or amendments or something that you kind of can see maybe something made it into the 14 code or 17 code and we had to clarify it in the 2020 or 14 we had to clarify it in the 2017 because it's a little ambiguous at one point and you need more clarification. And that's the great thing about it is we every three years... Uh, we can get back to kind of clean up some of the things that we might have left hanging. We didn't mean to. 
It wasn't the intent, uh, but that's kind of the effort. And so I encourage you to get the latest editions once they come out. Uh, now some people say wait a little while because the first edition has mistakes. You know, I don't know. Make it a challenge to find those mistakes. I don't know. I, I've never worried about that too much. Um, but um, again, um, get your copy when it comes out. So we're going to talk 2020. Uh, so now we're going to talk Article 100. Now one of the first things that we notice in, in Article 100, which again are definitions that are essential to applying the code. You have to know these definitions. So you'll have a part one and part two traditionally we've always had. Now part one is general terms that are used uh, throughout the code. Then you'd have part two which contains definitions that are only applicable to installations that are and equipment that operating at over a thousand volts. But now in the 2020 code we have a part three that we're introducing. And that contains the definitions that are applicable to hazardous classified locations. So all of those definitions that were spattered about in part one are being pulled out and located in part three if they have some remote association with hazardous classified locations. So as we kind of move forward, we have a nice little basket, if you will, to put things in. The general part one that applies broadly, then we got the part two, which is over a thousand, and you got part three, which could be either over a thousand or could be in the you know cover the applications that would be general use applications. And it really just focuses part three is going to focus on those hazardous classified location definitions. And there's quite a few of them that have been added in this part three. Uh, we're not going to go over all of those. Um, I'm going to do a separate episode just dealing with hazardous classified locations and the changes that are associated with that. And that's where we'll pull in these definitions to make it clear, like encapsulation and all that. Uh, so but right now on this one, we're going to kind of give you the 30,000 foot view and talk about some of the changes. Now, there wasn't a whole lot of definition changes. We didn't just simply overload you with a bunch of definition changes. Now, some of the changes might be into the actual definition itself, the wordage. Uh, we might have taken out some of the, the language in it that might have changed. And we'll talk about a couple of those as we get to it, kind of tweaked things around a little bit. And in some, when we flat out added new definitions in there. Okay. And so we'll kind of look at those uh, as we as we move through. All right. So let's kind of get started. The, the first one that we want to look at is an attachment fitting, which is different than an attachment plug, which is like a plug cap uh, that you've seen with a male end or whatever, or this could be a female end, that actually connects to a flexible cord. Well, that's not what an attachment fitting is. It differs from the attachment plug. Uh, and what is the definition of an attachment fitting? It says a device that by insertion into a locking support and mounting receptacle establishes a connection between the conductors of the attached utilization equipment, so whatever that utilization equipment, its leads that come off of it go into this device, and it's the branch circuit conductors connected to the locking support and mounting receptacle. So you've got the one piece, the fitting, that attaches to the utilization equipment that makes intimate contact to the conductors of that utilization equipment, and then you have the other piece of this device that actually connects to the branch circuits and it's the locking supporting mechanism and they lock together so that's an attachment fitting okay so don't confuse that with an attachment plug now where do we start coming up with this you have to remember that a couple cycles ago 
We introduced some of those receptacle changes, whereas that device that actually it's like it's it's not a receptacle in the sense that we used to know. It's a mating device that is used for ceiling fans, heavy luminaires, uh, and it got introduced in the code, and it actually makes and supports the weight, and it's an attachment fitting. Now, we made reference to attachment fitting in a couple different articles in the code, most notably section 27 of of article 314. That would be 314.27e. We made reference to an attachment fitting, yet we didn't know really what it was. Uh, And then 422.18 and 422.33, made reference to an attachment fitting. Well, we now know what an attachment fitting is or what its intent is, and it is different than an attachment plug. Now, the other neat thing here is, and I'm a big proponent for informational notes that bring clarity. I know people argue about them all the time. They say, you know, we don't need all this additional text in the code, but I'm thinking you do. You sometimes need that clarification. And here's what the informational note under attachment fitting says. An attachment fitting is different from an attachment plug because no cord is associated with the fitting. Just uh, You had just two pieces, okay? Uh, It says an attachment fitting in combination with a locking support and mounting receptacle secures the associated utilization equipment in place and supports its weight, okay? So... It is kind of the device, and again, if you haven't seen them yet, a great example of this is the device they make that puts out uh, for ceiling fans, and there's a piece that mounts onto the utilization equipment, and then there's a piece that mounts to the supporting box, and it has the ability to click together, and it's a mating receptacle. It follows under the definitions that we changed the definition of receptacle a while back, and that piece, of that, that is a device, but it is considered an attachment fitting. Okay, uh, and again, the reference to an attachment fitting was in 31427E, 422.33, 422.18, and so all we're doing now is adding a definition to what it is. Okay, nothing really brilliant about that. It's just adding a definition that kind of going to avoid any confusion. Uh, now, another one that we changed, and we did this in Codemaking Panel 5, I serve on that panel, uh, is the main bonding jumper. To make it very clear that the main bonding jumper okay, uh, is, is not associated with the supply-side disconnect, because we used the term supply-side disconnect was removed from the 2020 National Electrical Code. Okay, so all we did was remove that last piece. So what is a main bonding jumper? It's the connection between the grounded circuit conductor and the equipment grounding conductor or the supply side bonding jumper or both at the service. That's it. Nowhere else at the service. Okay, all right. Made it clear. <laughs> clear, as, clear, as, clear as it can get, right? Okay. So that's your change to your main bonding jumper. It's very much associated uh, with the service, uh, whether or not you're dealing, again, the connection between the grounded and the equipment ground conductor or the supply-side bonding jumper, or both, if you will, if both are present, at the service. And that's where it stops, okay? That's where the main bonding jumper stops, okay? Uh, some other definitions that we just, you know, just want to talk about because there's not, a, you know, there's quite a few. I encourage you to read them, but there's not a whole lot of massive changes. Um, one that I think probably you should just be aware of is the term copper clad aluminum conductor. So 
we we hear about that a lot when we're in 310. We, 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 we know that in 31016, which is the new ampacity number, going back from 31015 B16 now back to 31016, hopefully that doesn't confuse you because now all of the adjustment and correction tables will change to 315, uh, 310.15B and 310.15C. And yeah, trust me, you're going to have to go and look at 310 because all of those things we're used to quoting the last couple of years now is going back to, uh, well, at least 310.16 tables are going back to the way it used to be instead of 31015B16, which we've gotten used to. So, you know, for all of us that still call it 31016, hey, we get it back the way it used to be. But the point is, it made reference to copper-clad aluminum conductors, but really, it didn't give a good definition of what it was. So a cop- what is a copper-clad aluminum? Well, I will tell you this. Copper-clad aluminum conductor is still an aluminum conductor. Now, there's been a lot of push uh, by the, some of the manufacturers of this product to try to treat it as copper conductor. But it is not a copper conductor. It is copper clad aluminum. It is still in the core. It is made from an aluminum rod. And it is copper is metallurgically bonded to that aluminum core. So you get some of the termination benefits of the copper but the reality is it's still an aluminum conductor. So when it comes to current carrying ability, uh, the panel, there was a lot of uh, pushes and there was a big push here in this NITMAM cycle we just had uh, down in, uh, I think it's San Antonio a couple weeks ago, uh, to really change it and try to make it stand out more like copper. And that didn't, that didn't work because there's not enough testing on it. And the reality is it's still an aluminum core. Um, you know, And so we can get into the technical parts about whether or not dealing with AC and skin effect and maybe that outer core is what the current travels on, blah, blah, blah. Again, due to the frequency of 60 hertz, um, it's probably not even an issue. But at the end of the day, it is still an aluminum product and it just has a copper cladding on it. And it is, again, it is metallurgically bonded. So it's not supposed to separate. Uh, And it is a very specialized process. Uh, And a company that's really known for it is called Copper Weld. And when they do make it, they do a great job of it. Uh, But it is a specialty product. And uh, again, it's utilized in the tables and it's talked about all over 310. Uh, but really, we didn't have a definition for it. So here you have a definition for it now in the front. So uh, that's good that we have that. The next one that we have is dormitory unit. Uh, and so that was added. Uh, it was actually relocated and now falls under Article 100. So we have a definition of what a dormitory unit is. Now, what is it? What is it? Because we know that we refer to it many times in 210. Uh, what what exactly is it? It is a building or a space in a building in which group sleeping accommodations are provided for more than 16 people, so 17 or more, uh, who are not members of the same family in one room or a series of closed associated rooms under joint occupancy and single management or with or without, I shouldn't say or, it's with or without meals but without individual cooking facilities, okay? So that is what a dormitory unit is, kind of along the lines where we've got a dwelling unit, and we have a definition of what that. We now have a dormitory unit and more clarity that's been brought over to Article 100. 
Uh, so that adds that clarity. Now here's the thing about that. What you don't see is that the definition of dormitory unit didn't appear. So when we say move, what we mean is it was introduced during the public input stage and made it through. And it was looked at and reviewed in under a second revision, it was relocated. Okay, so it was it was basically moved from 210.2, which didn't appear in the 2017, but it was introduced in, but they determined that it needed to be moved over to 100. And so that's what took place. Okay, so when you hear me talk about movement, it's you got to remember that some things get introduced in the public input stage, and then people catch it in review in the public comment stage, and then they'll make a public comment in order to move it because they say, yeah, you know what, it's needed to be moved because it can be utilized in more than one article and it really needs to be over into uh, 100, and that's kind of what took place here. So you're not going to see it in 2017. Uh, you're going to see references to it in 210. Uh, most notably, when, you, when you're looking at different things, it talks about uh, dormitory units. It looks like 210.12D talks about those applications, uh, where it talks about branch circuit extensions and modifications, dwelling units, and dormitory uh, units. And then, of course, you have 210.12B, which is specifically dedicated to dormitory units. So an introduction of what a dormitory unit was presented in the public input stage. And here, by the time we get to this stage, uh, the second revision comes out and says, you know what, we need to move this over to 100. And that's exactly what they did. And so that makes sense to do so. All right, the next one you'll see, and you won't see it in the 2017, obviously, because we're talking about it, but it was presented in the public input to add the definition electric vehicle, EV. Why? Well, you know, we talk about EV vehicles a lot in the code, and it's an emerging thing, but we really didn't have the definition for it um, of any substantial amount so you had electric vehicles in 625. We, we had that, and you had electric vehicle up there. Um, so the proposal was made to move it to 100, okay? So you didn't have it in 100 previously, but you did have it in 625. And originally, it was submitted, and a new line was actually added, uh, to add as well as mobile energy storage. So, well, that was presented to add mobile energy storage into it, and that didn't make it. So it is actually the definition that you see uh, in, I believe, let's see if it's the whole definition, not included. No, it's been tweaked slightly little, a little bit, just a little from what you see in the 2017 back in uh, 625, and it's actually moved to Article 100. Now, there was some proposals, a public comment, who wanted to add a term, uh, energy storage system, to this, to the EV. It was presented, and it was rejected because they said the term mobile energy storage system was not defined, and, again, nobody submitted that. Uh, then... The panel said they should have provided a definition for that, and then they might have been able to, to work with it, but they didn't. So the EV was moved from 625.2 all the way over to 100, and now we have a, you know, the definition where it needs to be in Article 100 for that. The next we have is a global change, and it's an electrical datum plane. 
what is that? It's a specified distance above a water level above which electrical equipment can be installed and electrical connections can be made. Now this previously, this definition was in here, but it had some part one, part two, it had some different things on it that were more code written languages than actually what definitions are all about. So this was moved to 682. Uh, and all they did was take 555.2's definition of electrodatum plane and move it here out of 555.2. So we really just needed to know the definition. And that's what definitions are about, not to give you code requirements. And the previous electrodatum plane did give you some height and two feet above height. And that's really not the intent of definitions, okay? At least what the manual of style talks about it. So we had a little bit of a shifting. So some of the parameters of installations you know, dealing with tidal fluctuations and design and all that, that gets moved out, okay? So what we've got is just the basic definition of electrical datum plane, and we're going to leave the prescriptive requirements into the code where it needs to be, not in the definitions. So you've got your basic uh, definition of electrical datum plane. Uh, and part of that, I didn't want to skip to, but also the introduction of a couple terms that were up in 555, uh, like peer and things like that, get moved down here uh, into uh, Article 100, okay, for definitions as well. All right, so just kind of some changes that are that are associated with that as well. Kind of moving them out because they're you know they're broad. They could apply to 682. They could apply 555. I mean, they could apply in all bunch of locations. So. This is where they go. They go down here in 100 rather than up in 555, if you will. All right, so next thing we want to talk about is fault current. Didn't appear in the 2017 code. A lot of us electricians know what fault current is. But what happened is during the public input stage, somebody submitted a definition of fault current. And they said it was an objectionable current that flows due to abnormal circuit conditions. Well, not necessarily true. And somebody caught it during the public comment stage because this would give you the notion that you could only have objectionable current during a fault condition. And that is not true. We have objectionable current on a lot of systems that have nothing to do with fault current condition. So they removed that reference to objectionable current, which was not in your code. It was in the first public input to the 2020. And it made it all the way to the second, uh, up here to the uh, public comment stage. And, and again, submittals were put in saying, you know what? Objectionable current doesn't have to be specifically tied to fault current because you can have objectionable current condition without being fault current condition. So a new definition was proffered, and that was fault current. A current delivered at a point on the system during a short circuit condition. And that's what creates fault current. Okay, So we had that change. Just wanted to give you some clarity there uh, because we didn't really have a definition of fault current. Uh, and then we had one that was submitted, and it was going to cause some confusion, especially in 250.6c. So that objectionable current notion is taken out of that. Okay, so that's what you know took place there. All right, makes sense. Good. Hope so. <laughs> All right. The next one is just a clarification on free air and what the definition of free air as it applies to conductors. Now we get a lot of questions about this. Whether you got you're doing ampacities and you're wanting to know which table to use and what we're talking about is free air condition and what is a free air condition where the previous definition for free air as it applies to conductors 
not only went into describing what the free air was, but it went into some parameters of positioning and and, and, and the spacing and all this of conductors when we really were just trying to give a definition of what free air was. So code panel six uh, elected to remove the information on it when it comes to separation and all this to what creates a free air and just give us a definition. So it used to say open or ins- uh, ventilated environment that allows for heat dissipation and airflow around an installed conductor with no other conductors closer than one cable diameter and no insulation or building material in contact with the conductor insulation for more than three inches for every 10 feet of conductor. Well, they removed all that and simply are talking about the definition of what free air. What is free air when it applied to conductors? It is open or ventilated environment that allows for heat dissipation and airflow around an insulated, excuse me, an installed conductor. I I imposed my will on that one. Uh, Installed conductor. So if you have a conductor, it's installed. It's the open and ventilated environment around that installed conductor that that represents free air. Okay? So that is a definition change. You know, the other thing about this is the language here, free air conductors for things like triplex, quadplex, whatever, has been utilized for a long time. And the due notion of this would basically say that you couldn't use those conductors and apply the free air. And that really wasn't the intent. So by removing that second part of this, it does allow the free air application to be applied to things like quadplex or things like that that come down from a service drop or something in utilization of that so that you didn't have to have the conductor insulation to be more than three inches, which was virtually impossible with a quad or a triplex or whatnot that's been utilized forever. So we, I guess the real concept here was to keep it at a definition and leave it at that, okay, and avoid some of the confusion when it comes to that, all right? So there you go. That's that That change there. All right, the next one we'll look at is just kind of a subtle change, kind of give you the flavor of some subtle changes that made more sense based on, you know, when you take a second glance at things like ground fault circuit interrupter. Great definition. However, previously it said a device intended for the protection of personnel that function to de-energize a circuit or portion thereof within an established period of time where a current to ground exceeds the values established for a Class A device. Well, it really wasn't current to ground. It was ground fault current that it sees the values established in the class A device, basically five milliamps nominal. So uh, it doesn't go four or less, and it does six or more. We use five as a nominal. Uh, and really that had nothing to do with current to ground. That was ground fault current. So again, it's just a just a subtle change to the definition to make it more uh, accurate than what's really going on. So that's, you know, just some, some changes. Again, I, not all of them are so substantive that you're like, oh, that's that's earth-shattering. There's just some changes to be aware of uh, and how you deal with it. Um, and uh, Some of them, I'm, I am just skipping over because they're not earth-shattering and I don't, you know, I don't want to avoid any confusion with anything and really only would talk about things that are earth-shattering. Uh, let's see. We do have some changes to definitions of, for example, inverter input circuit. Uh, have uh, been changed uh, in the way that it states. So now it used to say conductors 
uh, between the inverter and the ESS in standalone and multi-mode inverter systems. Now an inverter input uh, circuit just says conductors connected to the DC input of an inverter. So, you know, again, some of these terms don't appear in the Article 100 of the 2017 code, so they're being introduced. So sometimes you have something that gets introduced, and then, of course, it gets clarified and, and, and changed. So, again, look for inverter output circuit, uh, which, again, we refer to uh, in many times uh, in uh, 690, uh, that you know, without a definition of what it is, you kind of you just see it, and you're thinking, well, I know it's got to be the output circuit or the input circuit of a of an inverter, and and but what is it? And so, again, some some clarity and some definitions. All these introduced uh, into it. Um, you have a multi-mode inverter. You have what's called an island mode. Uh, so it's you know basically it's a, an inverter. Uh, or island mode is an operational mode for standalone power production equipment or an isolated microgrid or for a multi-mode inverter or an interconnected microgrid that is disconnected from an electric power production and distribution network or other primary power source. In other words, it's it's a standalone. It's, it's an, island, an island mode by itself and just simply the removal of the term standalone. Um, trying to bring some kind of understanding because you know what? Most of these things you, you get in, they will refer to it as an island mode. Okay, so uh, And so you just kind of going along with, with, with how those individuals that deal in those type of systems will call it. And again, it's just going to be referred to as a island mode. I'll see here. Any other significant ones that I, we want to talk about? Just kind of looking them over. Oh, I, I guess I should add that peer, part of that global change, was moved. So the definition of peer and all that, that, that that's talked about in 555.2 and all that have now been moved over here to definitions. Okay, it's a little bit easier to apply them. So you'll have a peer, you'll have fixed peer, you'll have floating peer. All of that gets uh, moved over. Okay. All right. All right. Again, receptacle changes. Um, really, not a big change here. All they did was where it makes the reference to same yoke. Uh, kind of follow along the same lines that we always do: yoke or strap. So the term or strap. Uh, is added uh, as well. Uh, a duplex receptacle, for example, is two single receptacles on a single strap or yoke. Okay, just terminologies. Okay, I could have a simplex or single receptacle on one yoke or one strap. That would be the single receptacle. Or I could even see the triplex one's got three receptacles still mounted on a single yoke or single strap. Okay, so all we did here was add the words or strap to it. Nothing overly significant there except for to add that. Uh, the next thing that we run into is one that was debated quite a bit at the uh, CAMS, Certified Mending Motions and NITMAMS, um, about reconditioned. 
uh, was passionately argued again, and some people said it was new material and that the was the um, NFPA was stepping out of bounds and all that good stuff. I don't know. Um, all I know is the um, Michael Johnston, who is the uh, uh, the I should say the purveyor of all that, what sits on that committee, said that in looking at it, there was no new material and that it was accepted the definition of reconditioned. So what is reconditioned? It's uh, electromechanical systems, equipment, apparatus, or components that are restored to operating condition. This process differs from normal servicing of equipment that remain within a facility or replacement of listed equipment on a one-to-one basis. So that is your definition of reconditioned. Now there is an informational note. It says the term reconditioned is frequently referred to as rebuilt, uh, refurbished, or remanufactured. Okay? So uh, that is the new definition of reconditioned. Oh, I got to back up. I do got to back up. Sorry. Receptacles. There was an addition, and the reason that I just kind of blanked right over it is because it was presented in the public input stage and it was retained here to the to the 2020 code. It's not in the 2017. Is an informational note. And an informational note, again, just trying to give people guidance, it says a duplex receptacle is an example of, multiple rece- of a multiple receptacle that has two receptacles on the same yoke or strap. And that is kind of what we've always used to explain it between a simplex, duplex, triplex on a same strap or yoke, but now you have an informational note that tries to make it clear. Okay, so I'm sorry about that. You did have an informational note. Again, not enforceable, and it doesn't really need to be. It's just giving you some clarity, and I think that's the real intent of what informational notes are all about. So sorry, kind of had to jump back on that one a little bit. Just to, you know, give you a little clarity. <laughs> I know y'all know. I jump back, it doesn't matter. All right. The next one is a little bit of a change, not a big change, to service drop. Okay, some utility pole down to the side of your structure or whatnot. It's an overhead conductor between the servicing utility and the service point. Now that service point on the side of the building, it's your demarcation between where the utility leaves off and the electrician in the National Electrical Code picks up right there at that service point. Uh, that's kind of we call it the line of demarcation, if you will, between responsibilities. Uh, but uh, there you go. So it's just some wording. That's the main thing to, to, to deal with that. And we have some more of those subtle wording changes uh, in here, but nothing really overly significant that I want to, you know, going to go into do too much detail on. Um. What else? I'm just kind of looking at them, looking at them with you as we as we kind of we kind of go through them. Anything that's subst- I'm looking for substantially uh, some substantial changes to definitions. Uh, one thing to I will say that as I said earlier, you now have a part three. Now this part three in definitions is going to be geared to hazardous classified locations. So no longer do you're going to have to pick through the general applications to find definitions that deal with hazardous classified locations. Okay, so you've got quite a few of them in here uh, that were existing and some of them are new. Uh, They get pulled over into this. Uh, Combustible dust wasn't new, 
but it was in part one. Now it's over in, in part three. Okay. Um, you'll have something like electrical resistance trace heating, and it'll have a number beside it. Six. Uh, it'll be six hundred seventy nine dash thirty dash one. And basically, it's making a reference to an ANSI UL standard, which is 679-30-1, which is uh, explosive atmospheres. And it'll give you the part that deals with it, but it just gives you some definitions. Encapsulation uh, definitions added here, and it's listed as an M, which is, I guess, is the... uh, uh, the the part signature for that or that classification or what that number would be for encapsulation and that covers from the ANSI UL again it's out of the 679-18-2015 uh, explosive atmosphere part 18 now only concern and again I'm not an expert on this and I'm I really looked at that document don't you think and I'm sure I don't own the document but many times in here the same document is referenced 679 dash uh, 18 2015 and then there's another one 679 dash 1 2015 so I'm assuming that each one of these documents or each edition is adopted separately in different years or whatnot uh, but they all have the same UL ANSI number I don't know apologize I didn't really look that up um, the key here is you're going to have more clarity now when it comes to classified hazardous location and terminologies that are used in it. And they're going to be dumped into here, part three. Um, so some of the stuff that were in part one uh, are now going to be over here in part three. Uh, liquid immersion, uh, it gives you the classification as O, and this is type of protection where electrical equipment is immersed in a protective liquid in such a way that an explosive atmosphere that may be above the liquid or outside of the enclosure cannot be ignited. So it is protected by liquid immersion. Okay, so you have all that. Now, other terminologies like major repair garage is under this now. Um, minor repair garage is under this. Uh, fuel dis- Motor fuel dispensing facilities under this. So you kind of see where it's all going oil immersion all of that's under this uh, and there's a bunch of these like pressurized enclosure with the, the the type P it's a type of protection of electrical equipment that uses a technique of guarding against the ingress that means allowing gases in uh, ingress of an external atmosphere which may which may be explosive wherever the location is placed into an enclosure by maintaining a protective gas therein at a pressure above that of the exterior atmosphere. So it's kind of the pressure inside is not allowing the vacuum effect to pull anything from the outside. It's staying pressurized and it keeps anything from coming in because it keeps that pressure within. Uh, so that type P here uh, and all of this again is referencing ANSI UL 679, and this one, for example, is 2 of 2017. Explosive Atmospheres Part 2. Again, I don't know enough about this. Uh, this UL ANSI, the guys that do this all the time do. Um, and I'm assuming that these different parts get adopted at different periods. Otherwise, I would think all these dates would be the same unless they just missed that. And I, and I doubt that took place. So there's a bunch of them here. Make sure you read them. Some of these definitions are new. A spray booth is not. That gets relocated over here. That you know definition comes out of NFPA 33, I believe. And 
So there's there's a bunch of different things, unclassified, ventilated, volatile, flammable liquids. That was in the, the uh, uh, general area of the 2017 code, but again, obviously it moves over here. So um, this is kind of just an overview of, of what it is or what we're dealing with. So just kind of giving you, not going into every one of these definitions, but they're all in there. Uh, and then, uh, so let's kind of recap it. So part one is your general, they apply throughout the code. Then you'll have part two, which applies to those applications that are over a thousand volts. And then you got part three, which is dealing with the hazardous classified locations. And so now it's just been broken up. So for the article 100, you really have some subtle changes, some new definitions, some word changes, um, nothing I see too awful significant. Uh, except you have that relocating in part three of all those classified hazardous locations, which I think is probably a really, really good move to consolidate it that way. So as we move for, further on, we know what's going to go under part three. We know what's specifically going under part one. Uh, and we know one is general, two is specific, and then part three is specific to hazardous classified location applications. Okay? All right. Well, that's it for this one. We able to knock that out. Um we will continue to move forward and talk about more of the significant changes that are taking place. But again, that's the, the majority of the changes that we're going to have for Article 100. Uh, I encourage you to get a copy of the 2020. If you're a member of the Code Making panel, obviously, then you don't have to worry about that because you're going to get a copy. Or you can go into the TerraView and you can look at those. It's a little difficult sometimes in TerraView to see all the changes. Um, there's plenty of books that are obviously going to come out on these code changes. Or you can subscribe to our series you go to our website to do that just go to masterthenec.com and you'll click on the link on the right you'll see at the home page you'll see a yellow notice that's letting you know about a special announcement and that is the the, the press release is letting you know about that uh, new issue that's going to come out uh, but if you want to subscribe there's a button at the bottom it says click here and that'll take you to where you can subscribe to that whether you want to get it per issue or you want to get an annual subscription however you want to do it uh, and uh, it's totally, totally up to you. So uh, hopefully you uh, uh, will do that and we'll be able to uh, get you these changes and you can kind of take them in bit by bit uh, and not get overwhelmed as we want to start giving you quite a few before the code even comes out. So hopefully you got something out of it. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Stay tuned for where we're going to go into Article 110 and talk about some significant changes there. Until next time, folks, stay safe, God bless, and keep safe out there. Every day the future's getting closer. Every day the future's looking bright. Every day is another beginning.